Hey everyone, welcome to episode 43 of the Bike Shop Boyfriend Podcast. I'm your host, Dustin. Uh, Welcome. It's been a little bit of a long time, and for that, I apologize, but I've been working on a little bit of an experiment uh, in this particular episode. Uh, First up is going to be three bits of raw audio. Uh, I want to see how you guys like it, see if that's a feature that you want to hear more of in the future. Another feature that we're going to be doing is what's up in the bike shop and I kind of go a little bit into uh, why I haven't been uh, recording as much. And lastly, probably the reason why you clicked on this podcast is how a $10,000 bike sells a $1,000 bike. All this and a little bit more on the Bike Shop Boyfriend podcast. Here we go. Alright, so it's been a little while since I've done one of these Bike Shop Boyfriend podcasts. Um, I apologize for not being a bit more frequent with it. Uh, due to the fact that there's been, oddly enough, in my previous podcast, I said that there wasn't a lot going on. Uh, lo and behold, there's some stuff going on behind the scenes. Um, first things first is to report that the cyclocross season and uh, subsequently has been very productive uh for the bike shop i've been doing uh quite a few um bike fitting consultations for folks getting in the right size they're looking at tire selection they're looking at shoe choices um i I would call it a lot of uh getting feet wet in the pool type uh of purchases and client consultations um but all around it's been actually a very positive uh season and secondly uh trainer smart trainer sales have actually been very popular actually this month uh our bike shop is doing a promotion in collaboration with uh zwift in that if you were to purchase a smart trainer at a particular dollar value it does um it does allow you to get a f- up to a year uh worth of free zwift uh the promotion does end this week i believe i think friday um it's currently tuesday and so a lot of people have been taking advantage of that and actually more people than i thought which is actually a really great sign um the platform for zwift is actually very engaging uh i myself use it for when i have to do longer than an hour and a half type rides um just due to i I can't mentally process being on the bike for more than an hour and a half um even though I do it, it's just one of those things that this is going to be another um, motivational tool to keep me on the bike longer to get me through workouts. Uh, I still will be using Trainer Road as my go-to uh, Monday through Friday type, um, make it count, make it work uh, type structured training program. Uh, so great stuff still from them. Uh, on a quick tangent, the calendar feature actually on Trainer Road is awesome i really enjoy it i love the simplicity of it the use the ui interface of it um tremendous can't say anything good about uh, nothing but good about it um it still has its tweaks but i really appreciate the effort and i just know that trainer road and the team there they're going to be keep on making some great stuff um but back to brass tacks so that's uh the big things that have been going on at the shop 
another thing is due to the cyclocross season, I haven't really been seeing my boys uh, that I normally ride with all that much due to the fact that they are pretty knee deep in the sand and mud and uh, tactics and racing and all the good stuff that they're in of uh, the local racing. So my boy, the essential Russell, um, the machine DK, also another Dustin um, and my man. Carl Von Hammerwatts, um, you guys have been just absolutely crushing it. Uh, the group chat is very much one-sided towards cyclocross, so uh, if I'm not participating much in our group chats, that's the only reason why is because I myself am not participating in cyclocross. Um, I miss you guys tremendously. Do right, I, I, I do miss you. Um, I'm saying that with all a smile on my face. But that being said, um, yeah, very excited to. Uh, be help coordinate the last race of the local uh, cyclocross scene here it is uh, beyond the grave cross it is taking place this weekend Um, i'm hoping to bring the podcast to the event and record some raw audio for your enjoyment and uh, to be honest there's actually been a lot going on uh, behind the scenes to organize it Uh, i'm in charge of media surprise surprise and uh, with that we're trying to get the word out. So I've been reaching out to uh, local community papers. Um, we've been running advertising on Facebook and Instagram. So if you're f- seeing stuff uh, that is cycling related and it happens to come up as a uh, pumpkin headed cyclist uh, beyond the grave promotion on your Instagram feed, uh, I apologize, but I don't apologize because we really want to get the word out. We are hoping to expand the event in the future um, to a two-day event, which we think could be very um, good for the local cyclocross scene. Um, All in the bid that as a community of cyclocross organizers, um, I don't know if this is a for sure, but we'd really like to host another uh, UCI C2 uh, event, meaning that there's points involved, meaning uh, we can actually attract bigger name racers to the local scene here. Um, that all being said, that's way down the line. That's ambition. That's our aspirations, I think, uh, further down the road. Um, first things first is to promote our local bike shop and um, and the bike event. Um, to discuss the cycling events themselves a little bit more um for us it's more as a bike shop it is more about um just really participating in the community that we cater to if that all makes sense um cycling is a very individual sport and at times it can be uh not very team-based so it's a very difficult type of uh and very unique uh, retail environment where we have to sort of reach out and actually engage with the community a bit more um, to make them feel like they are part of our day-to-day business uh, and it helps keep the doors open and actually um, creates value beyond what the retail purchase would be, if that all makes sense. So if that's just really giving you mechanical advice on how to uh, fix something on your bike, um, possible uh, bike fitting, or if it could be nutrition ad, uh, help in terms of bringing in product that could help you, um, that's really why a bike shop like us is around. Um, it's not just to get 
the dollars from your wallet into our cash register. It's actually to get more of a, um, become more of a value resource for you as a cyclist to get the most out of your performance and the most out of your bike riding experience. Um, hopefully that all makes sense. But uh, as cyclocross sort of winds down, this is sort of our big thing because uh, it's localized. We can it's a closed course. Uh, it's very spectator friendly and we like to make it very family friendly as well. Um, that's why we got a bit of a Halloween theme. Um, and we encourage the riders to dress up in costumes and all that good stuff. We got candy to hand out. Uh, hopefully I don't think any of it's yeah, none, most of it's nut free and all that. We do take responsibility for all that good stuff. Um, so there you have it. That's uh, some of the big reasons why I've been busy. Uh, last Monday, I should quickly give a shout out to uh, Cancer Care Manitoba uh, and the foundation, uh, Cancer Care Foundation. Um, they, in collaboration with The Inside Ride, uh, put on a spectacular event. Uh, it was my third year participating it directly. Um, this is the first... Yeah, I'd have to say this is the first year where I actually felt pretty good at the end of it um and the inside ride itself is a fundraiser event to um help raise funds for uh childhood cancer um treatment research and funding um some of the stuff that they do for the kids is uh pretty spectacular in terms of uh it to me borderlines on science fiction of like what they're doing uh with genome therapy and um other non uh hopefully non uh life shattering and destructive uh treatment programs uh other than chemotherapy um so it's really great that inside ride is actually doing stuff to actually help kids uh give them a fighting chance so if it's me just spinning my feet for five minutes all-out effort on a bike that doesn't fit me um think like wearing a shoe three sizes too small uh in terms of doesn't fit um so be it and actually this is the first year where we actually had some funds to uh actually show for it normally we were just sort of the fill-in guys to participate and actually round out the event um so that was a huge highlight and officially i have to say is the end of my riding season uh i should have maybe been a bit more in shape for it uh to be honest but uh i was happy to just participate uh mega kudos to all the volunteers the organizers and uh corporate donors uh to the event spectacular thank you so much uh and again thank you for inviting uh myself my team and uh, my bike shop to help uh, participate in this one so thank you there um so that pretty much at 10 minutes here uh rambling on that's pretty much what i've all been up to so i've been busy um but that's going to be changing very soon and uh, we're going to get back to a more consistent type podcast So welcome to the first of three 
segments here. Um, the first one's actually going to be my man, Jamie, who is one of our service technicians. Um, he's a park tool guru uh, in terms of education, what he's learned, uh, and how he actually educates fellow riders and future mechanics, um, the ways, ins and outs of uh, the technical aspects of a lot of product uh, that is on bicycles. Um, This is Jamie actually explaining to me uh, how to adjust on the fly a rear hub. And uh, this is sort of an ongoing effort to uh, bring you guys a little bit more of a flavor of what all goes into a bike shop. Enjoy. All right, so what are we looking at? So we're looking at a Shimano Dior hub. Now, Shimano Dior hubs, the the cones are shaped a lot differently in there. They're higher quality cone, Mm -hmm. they're polished, and they have a hollow quick release. Now, the the axle's sensitive to the tension on the quick release when you throw the cam action on the lever. So a very common thing to do is people adjust the hubs like any other bearing. Right. When you do that, when you throw that quick release, it puts too much force on that bearing. The bearing is actually tight to turn and it wears through your cones really quick. Okay. So what you want to do is you want to adjust your hubs on the loose side. So when the quick release is barely tight, like just barely tight, you can feel side to side play. Yeah, and you can feel that now. Yeah. That knocking that side to side play in the rim. And then you open your quick release, give her a quarter turn, half a turn, throw it again, and then you'll notice that the play will start to go away. So give it another half a turn here. It's a good idea when you're checking for play, because the tolerances are so tight, you want to check in one or two, ideally three different positions. Because one part of the wheel might have some play and the other one won't. But one of the nice things about this is that when you're on the road, and you're touring with a loose ball bearing system. That's This only works with loose ball bearings. This doesn't work with most other manufacturers wheels where they have cartridge bearings. So Shimano, Campagnolo, this is the case. And you're on the road, you know some play in your hub. Yeah. You just tighten your quick release. You can do the on-the-spot hub adjustment for bearing tension with no tools. Is that only for quick release or is that for through axle too? It is only for quick release because through axles will have you should be okay. uh, it's cartridge bearings. Other way around. <laughs> sorry, yes, sorry, yes. Uh, However, Shimano does do loose ball bearings with their through axle system and they have a completely different tensioning system that compensates for that. This is not the case with the cost of So next up is uh, a segment that I recorded raw, um, bit improv and candid, I would have to say, with uh, my man Steven, who came in for, um, I'll, I'll have to label it as a bike setup. He recently purchased himself a cyclocross bike, and uh, the details thereof is it is a 2018, 2019, uh, actually no, sorry, it's a 2019 um, Trek Crockett 5, I believe. Um, And just to give you a little bit of background as to Steven's proportions on a bike, uh, think of a power lifter. So Steven is actually a very powerfully built um, 
not to use it as a derogatory sort of statement, but he's more of a square-shaped individual because he is such a powerful, like he does powerlifting competitively, so he's a really built fellow. Um, So to translate that normal, uh, I would dare say like wider than average uh, cyclist uh, onto a bicycle, it's a bit of a challenge. And so we're fine tuning uh, his position. So there was an initial setup uh, at the beginning when he first got the bike, which I was really excited about just to get him riding, um, wasn't able to really spend a lot of time with him on developing that position. Uh, and then this is just the follow-up. So enjoy the audio. Hopefully you can glean a little bit of insight as to what goes into a bike fitting consultation. Um, I can't label this a full bike fit. However, due to the fact that I am missing, um, a few key components to actually, making it a full bike fit uh mainly is a stabilization platform that is um level and also allows for disc brake um so i usually have to make do with a um with a makeshift uh mag trainer that or fluid trainer i should even say and prop up the front wheel and we try and level out the bike as much as possible before the rider themselves gets onto it um this technique also doesn't allow me to really do any kind of uh, digital analysis with the high-speed camera that I sometimes use. Um, and I really rely on the high-speed camera really just to give me a second pair of eyes in case I'm missing something uh, in the real-time motion. Um, my bike shop doesn't have a full-on uh, bike fitting jig just yet. Uh, that is something that is in the long tail or long term plan of what the bike shop does uh, hope to get. Um, with that being said, uh, and without further ado, here's the raw audio. I hope you enjoy it. All right, so let's uh, 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 let's do the stem want to relax those shoulders just a little bit more because I see that you are you're taking to the position already but I yeah. want to relax your arms just a little bit more not necessarily to drop them below so that way you're making an impingement on the top of the trap right uh, and in the shoulder itself but just you feel more balanced and relaxed and that way you can be more reactive with the, nice. of the bike. Um, so I don't want to change your stem at all because I think that's actually working it's probably about 90 Bingo. Yeah, 90. Um, I wouldn't do 100 on there. Um, you're going to start reaching out in the next How long is the person to have 100? I'm just not. I'm sorry. If you want a smaller bike, you're not. I'm not a family dad, so no, no. I have no obsession with numbers or. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't attach numbers to my masculinity, like, you know, or sizes. Four. What? I mean, he's a four. He's a four? I, I don't know what's out of. I like it. Does it look good? That's a nice looking number. So far, that's good. Yeah, feels good. Feels good. So far. Nice. Got a little no, bit to do. Is this, is this happy? I just kind of like, I felt that. Pocket out of You guys heard the What's the bar? Yeah, like the, the angle. Or like, should it have oh, yeah, no, that's tops? Pardon? Like, or should it have like air tops? Bigger, bigger than this. Taller. Even taller. I mean, if they could connect, actually. No, no. Isn't that what Canyon does? Yeah. <laughs> you, need, you need like the 28 bar, and then you just gotta put like mountain in the middle. 
Oh, oh, huge flare. Have you seen that that guy in the pro tour team that has the bars that are 38 mil? He's like bigger and taller than us. And they're like the 38 tops and they go like this. No, those are uh, 30s. 30, yeah, and it's, it's like. 30s and the flare. They're flared. And it's like on the top, he's like full arrow tucked when he's in the hoods. And then yeah. um, when he's down low, he can like descend. But it looks so weird because it's like. But they now, uh, next year, they're, like, they're banning it. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Those wrong hot Dutch guys. <laughs> oh, wrong hot is hard to say. Most Dutch things are fun to say. Like Stroopwafel. Stroopwafel? Actually, I started watching uh, the new season of Shadow. Right, so the last of these three uh, raw segments that I'm trying to create a bit of a um, storyline to some degree of is uh, me interviewing some of my buddies who competed in this past weekend's uh, cyclocross race uh, at a local park where they had the course. And um, yeah, that's really pretty much all this is. Uh, I'm hoping to actually get a bit more raw audio out in the field, so I do apologize for the amount of uh, background white noise uh, going on, um, as well as, I guess, the candor of... Uh, it gets a little bit salty in terms of the language, so I do apologize for those with sensitive ears. Nothing too terrible. Uh, I think it's really just an F word here and there. Um, but other than that, do enjoy. And uh, to my triathlete listeners, um, I'm sorry. So I'm here with triathlon legend and uh, <laughs> professional lover and beard extraordinaire. Occasional sandbag. Occasional sandbag. Because uh, there was the flood of 90, what, 7? Is that flood of 97? Anyways. I'm new here. All right. Yeah, you're new. Uh, Dave, how was your race? Well, I, I did not finish last. Into the mic. Uh, I, I did not finish last. I'm, I'm deeply pleased. Uh, and uh, lots to build on for next week. All right. Sad result from a sad man. And uh, just going to be doing some other impromptu interviews here with uh, Beard on a Mic here. Ty, you're, uh, you're next up here for the men's elite. What are you going to be uh, bringing to the course? Uh, just so you know, I'm not in men's elite. All right. This was a disappointing interview. Wow. Worst podcast segment ever. So here's a question. How does a $10,000 bicycle sell a $1,000 bike? This was uh, something that came up in one of the, actually quite a few direct messages that some of you uh, awesome listeners, thank you very much, uh, presented to me while uh, on Instagram. there's been a few questions on Facebook as well as Twitter. Thank you oh so much for those of you who are reaching out. Um, can't thank you enough. Please give me more questions. I love responding to them. Um, and hopefully this is actually going to answer this particular question. Um, it's kind of divided into three 
three facets, if I can explain this properly. Um, the first one is going to be something called A bikes versus B bikes. Um, an A bike is the bike that a bicycle retailer will sell maybe between anywhere between 60 to 70 percent uh, in terms of its type, variety, possibly even brand, um, sells to the public on average uh, quarterly, monthly, and even yearly basis. It's their number one seller. Um, if you ever walk into a bicycle shop and they say like, this is our biggest selling bike, even though you might not be interested in it, that is the reason that keeps the lights on, keeps uh, staff being paid, um, keeps events, and it keeps business open. Um, a bikes keep lights on. Um, they're not always the prettiest bike, but they are the most practical bike in the showroom floor. Next up is going to be B bikes. Now, these aren't necessarily what A bikes are. Um, they can be. And uh, B bikes tend to be a little bit higher priced. And now it's not necessarily always a $10,000 bike I'm talking about. It's often the first, I would call it prosumer bike. By prosumer, I mean it's a bit more than your entry level bike, but it's definitely not your expert race ready, uh, super aggressive, all the bells and whistles $10,000 bike. This is something closer to uh, getting your feet wet in the performance side of things. It is the bit more, uh, it could compete in a race event or it could compete in a competitive event um, type of cycling in nature uh it could give you the more inside edge of uh besting your friends in a group ride if it's a town line sprint um bikes of that nature and then just to give you some kind of identification with it uh it would be bikes with group sets that would be uh for shimano and it's a road bike i would say it's definitely 105 and up um if it's sram it's definitely going to be force and up uh, possibly even rival. In fact, it'd be probably rivaling up uh, in terms of the bikes I'm speaking to uh, for the road side of things. For Campagnolo, if you got a Campagnolo equipped bike, you do not have a prosumer bike. You got yourself something always pro. Um, I don't care what people say. The Chorus uh, and Athena? Yeah, I think uh, those group sets are still very pricey, um, even though they're a bit more affordable than what they used to be. Um, that being said, um, for the road side of it, that sort of gives you an idea of what I'm envisioning as a B-bike. And then on the mountain bike side of it, uh, for Shimano, again, we're going to be talking about more of Dior level and up. And also on the SRAM stuff, we're going to be talking more about the double X or X9 um, series stuff. And even in a lot of cases, they're rebranding uh, a lot of the SRAM stuff to the uh, e to fit Eagle in terms of 12 speed. Um, it's just what that component group is made of, uh, especially if it's a one by system. Um, this sort of is going to get a little bit lost, I guess. But um, that being said, prosumer bikes are going to be considered B bikes. Now, the B bikes are going to be your thousand dollar to about two thousand dollar price points um by and large so some of it might be carbon most of it's going to be aluminum uh it's definitely not going to have race ready wheels it could have tubeless ready wheels um but the thing is it's definitely the entry level to what the flagship has 
uh, in that model lineup. Um, I'm thinking of uh, on a tarmac, it's a specialized tarmac, it's going to be uh, still saying the full word specialized onto it. It's not going to say S works on that frame. Um, but that's sort of what I'm thinking of. Now, B bikes, they sell very well, and that might consist of about, uh, for still doing the math, between 25 to about, say, 30 ish percent of the remaining bike sales. Now, as a bike retailer, we prefer to sell A bikes because that's bigger, uh, more volume for us to sell. And there's actually not as much margin on them, but the volume actually makes up for that. Um, B bikes, they actually have a bit more margin on them, meaning we make more money on those, um, but we don't sell as much. Uh, so to sell those bikes, we don't sell as many as often. Um, now, how does this sell or how does a $10,000 bike sell you a $1,000 bike? Great question. Now, this sort of goes into the second part of what I'm talking about. That is aspiration versus practicality. Now, aspiration is definitely the $10,000 bike that we all wish we could afford. Uh, some of us are very fortunate enough to actually afford one. Um, but practically speaking, um, I need to pay my bills. I need to have uh, a certain standard of living in terms of um, I need to put food on the table for myself. Uh, I need to have a social life. I like to reinvest in clothing. Um, I like to have a good time. I like to go out for coffee. Um, and most importantly, I have bills to pay. Um, I already said it once, but it's worth repeating. But uh, the practicality is I can't afford the most expensive bike uh, that my industry, the brands that we carry uh, offers. Therefore, I go with something that I can afford. Now, don't get me wrong, I drool like madly over something that I aspire to, meaning a $10,000 superbike that would be not terribly uh, amiss in the Tour de France or the UCI World Cup mountain bike series. But that being said, um, I know myself, I know my wallet, and I know what I can afford. So that being said, uh, I try and bring that back down to what I can afford. Now, to see a $10,000 bike is a little bit different. Now, that's where we like, that brings me to my third little point here, or the third factor, facet to this, is um, a $10,000 bike, if you have one to show someone, you can actually show them the value of what the high end has, but you can actually relate it to what the prosumer b-bike has as well so with that being said it tends to be um those ten thousand dollar bikes have uh electronic shifting they might have uh hydraulic disc brakes they might have crazy um worth more than my rent uh wheels um that kind of thing and then to relate that to the purchase that they're actually looking at uh most people are visual learners and they can actually understand that value a little bit easier in that you can relate what the trickle down effect is in that $1,000 to $2,000 bike. Now, that's often how a $10,000 bike overall sells you a $1,000 bike. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, there's a lot of information right there. A lot of it's going to be a little bit confusing. Um, if it is, hit me up. I can explain it a little bit better. But yeah, just to repeat myself, um, 
A bikes versus B bikes. So your A bikes are the most popular bike that you sell. Uh, might not be the most fancy. Um, B bikes are known as prosumer bikes. So they have trickle down features of what the flagship uh, bikes have um, that the B bikes don't. Um, also aspiration versus practicality. Uh, what you aspire to might be a $10,000 bike, but realistically practical. Um, you might only be able to afford a $1,000 or $2,000 bicycle, um, but you're going to get a lot more value out of that. And what does value mean to you? So that being said, we can only show someone a $10,000 bike and actually show what that $10,000 bike has that the $2,000 bike doesn't have. That being said, we have definitely sold bikes that are more than $10,000 to individuals. Um, and I can't stress enough that the more you spend on a bike does not always ensure uh, that you will be the fastest person on a bike. Um, there's a lot that goes into cycling and uh, the the equipment and the gear can only do so much. Uh, a lot is about the rider and what the rider can and cannot do. Um, so take it for what it's worth. But that is, in essence, um, how a $10,000 bike sells you a $1,000 bike. Whatever it is, though, hopefully you enjoy your bike and you love it. So that's a Bike Shop Boyfriend recommendation. does it this is episode 43 said and done and in the bag thank you so much for listening i highly appreciate every listener that has listened to this podcast uh we still got lots more to do here on uh, the bike shop boyfriend podcast if you have any questions comments topic ideas love to hear from you let me know what you think about um what goes on in a shop in the off season um let me know what you're doing in uh, your sort of off-season hijinks and goings-on. Um, let me know what you think about the audio uh, experience that we're doing inside of the episode itself. Um, love the criticism. Love the feedback. Uh, love all you guys. Hopefully you guys are still riding. If you're not, if you're on a trainer, I hope uh, you make that time count. Until next time, take care keep the those two wheels down and uh, you'll hear from me soon cheers <laughs>